How are you today? Good. Um, first of all, I want to welcome all of our other campuses. It's great to have you guys join us. I want to spend the next uh, couple minutes before we get into the Word of God. Uh, Luke 18, verse 18 to 30. If you want a head start, turn in your Bible there. Luke 18, 18 to 30. Um, I want to pray for our moms, though, ahead of time. Uh, actually, I want to pray for a few things. I, I want to pray for our moms. I, I want to pray for the, the want-to-be moms. Uh, my wife and I had difficulty with fertility for quite a long time, and so we, we know what it's like to sit there and uh, have a Mother's Day go by and have the desire for you to, your wife to be a mother or she, her to be a mother, and it can be a real challenge, right? Infertility is a difficult providence to deal with. Um, I also want to pray for uh, the lost moms. My mom died 11 years ago and 10 years ago. I can't even remember now. But um, yeah, you know, every Mother's Day for some of us is a, is a difficult reminder that uh, our moms aren't around. And I also want to pray for uh, the moms who are facing difficult decisions today. You guys know that in the last week or so, we've uh, faced some really interesting political news. Uh, Roe versus Wade is is probably going to be undone, and that's going to go back to the states. And so this creates all sorts of questions about abortion and stuff. You just need to know that as a church and as Christian people, we, we believe that life matters no matter where it is, whether it's in the womb or beyond. So, so uh, uh, that doesn't mean that we're Republicans or Democrats or anything like that. We, we, just, we just think that life matters and should be protected at every point. And so... There are lots of women who are put in very difficult situations. They got pregnant in ways that they didn't expect, and they're facing even decisions today. So we want to pray for them and pray God's uh, blessing on them and his wisdom for them as they have to make these decisions, that his way would be clear to them. So let's pray together. Father, I'm uh, thankful for moms. I'm thankful, Father, for all of those who uh, you've blessed with children. And I'm thankful, Lord, that, you know... You look back on my own life, and I'm, I'm a product of my mother's care and her love. I watched my wife uh, parent our kids, and uh, their holiness and their, their love for you and their good attitude toward the world and life is largely due to her faithfulness. I'm thankful for her, and I pray, Father, your richest blessing on her. And all the other moms, Lord, if we all took time to stand up and give announcements about our mothers and how much we feel about them through a microphone. It would take days and days and days. Uh, they are magnificent people, and I'm thankful, Father, that you've blessed us with them. Uh, Father, I know that there are some in your, in your providence who uh, can't have children or haven't had them yet and desperately want them. God, I'm going to pray this morning that you would answer them and their prayers like you answered Hannah's prayers that, Lord, you would grant them joy, that you would deliver them from uh, the barrenness, and ultimately, Father, you would give them a testimony of your goodness in this time. Um, we also want to pray, Father, for uh, all those who are remembering our moms uh, and uh, the difficult emotions that come along with that. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember them well, that you would bring a kind of um, comfort and peace upon us, Lord, even though our moms uh, have gone on, and I pray, Lord, that, uh, yeah, you would help today not to be a heavy thing, but instead, Father, that the warm memories would come back and we would remember with smiles and tears all the great things that they meant to us. And ultimately, Lord, there are moms who are 
would-be moms, Lord, who are facing real questions today. I pray, Lord, oh God, I pray that you would give them light in their darkness, that through your providence you would block the way for them to be making dangerous, terrible decisions for the life of their child. And Father, they would choose life. I pray, Father, that the church and uh, others would, would, would surround them with love and all that's needed for them to move forward in that decision. And I pray that 18, 20, 30, 40 years from now, they'll be taking pictures of their children who they dared to have in very difficult circumstances, Father, and that you would fill them with the warmth in their heart that they made a decision that honored you. So, Father, we pray for our nation, our country, the decisions of our government, and all of those things, Father, that ultimately they would be life-giving. And would you find us people of life? In Jesus' name, amen. Luke, chapter 18. Verses 18 to 30. Uh, we are in the middle of a series. This is the second week. Our series is called On the Money. Uh, it is a discussion about what the Bible has to say about money and possessions through a series of different passages, mostly in the New Testament. And um, today we're going to be studying one of the famous money stories. Last week we looked at Luke chapter 12 and the story of a rich fool. This week we're going to look at another story about a rich fool. He's a ruler, and he makes a really bad decision regarding his money versus following Jesus. And so uh, there's a very famous passage, and the question that we've been asking up to this point is, what do these passages teach us about how Christians ought to view their money and possessions? Like if Jesus were here and he were going to instruct us about money and possessions, what would he say to us? In this passage, we're going to find four things that he says to us. Um, each one of them is just sort of a truism. They, I, I tried to make them as uh, pithy as I could so they could be remembered. But ultimately, it's the kind of thing that you probably want to write down and remember that this is what this passage seems to be indicating about how God wants us to view our money and possessions. So here's the first of four of them. Uh, Jesus is good, and his teaching on money is for our good. Jesus is good, and his teaching on money and our possessions is, is for our good. So let's, let's look at the passage together. Luke chapter 18, verse, verse 18. Uh, and, and a ruler asked him, uh, I'm, I'm underlining ruler because I want to ask a question about this guy. Uh, we don't know a lot about him. In the other gospels that tell this story, we're told that he's young. Also, he's not called a Pharisee, he's not called a tax collector, he's not called a lot of things, and usually Luke clarifies, if you're talking about a Pharisee, he includes a Pharisee, and a Pharisee said to him, if he's talking about a tax collector, a tax collector says, he's none of that said about him, he's just called a ruler. So he's probably what we, what we call an important layman in the synagogue, in the church, important layman who has some sort of position in the community, right? Like so a mayor, a local leader of some variety. He's an important guy. And he's rich, as most of the local, and you know, guys, you know, most of the politicians have more money than we were like, where do they get it? This is this guy. That's what this guy. So, so I don't know, in your mind, think about like an, an elder of a church who's really well, re, well uh, regarded, a, 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 a figure in the, in the community who everyone looks upon and says, now that guy's got it together. This, this guy, that's who he's talking about. He's not a bad guy. 
The whole society would have probably, you know, he's the guy who wins the, the, the awards in, in, for the city of in Chamber of Commerce. A ruler asked him, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? <laughs> it's funny, he calls him good teacher here, right? Uh, this is kind of a throwaway line. I don't know if you guys ever, people sometimes in other, in other settings have, have said to me before, uh, you know, I go and speak at some event and somebody maybe not tied to the church or somebody who's kind of older in the church, they say, Reverend Bucknam. That's, it, they don't know that rever- I am in no way reverent, right? So, but they throw, so it's a, it, you know, it's like a title, Reverend Bucknam, right? I like it in England, the Honorable Right Reverend Dr. Bucknam. But that's a throwaway title. They don't mean all that. I'm not honorable. I'm not right, certainly. And I'm not reverent. I am a doctor, though. Right? <laughs> good teacher. Good, good teacher. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, sometimes Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees or other people who are trying to trap him. And they ask questions like this. And tell us what, what must we do to inherit eternal life? And they're trying to, you know... They have a checklist on what's the right answer to this because they're scholars. And they're like, what are you going to say? They're trying to trap him. Um, not this case at all. This is a legitimate question from this guy. He, like, again, he, he is a faithful, warm-hearted, important guy in the community. And he's basically asking the question, how is it going to be that when I stand before God at the final resurrection, when he judges the whole world, how can I be sure that I am on his side? Look, this is an evangelist's dream question. Uh, excuse me, evangelist, I want to know how to be saved. That's the question. Jesus said to him, you expect the answer right away, don't you? Ah, but he's got something. Uh, why do you call me good? Uh, no one's good except God alone. Have you, you ever spent time like you're in a prayer meeting or with somebody else who's praying? We love to use certain words when we pray. Uh, just God, I just want to just be just here, just now. And the word just is used. If you're new to the faith, I'm going to tell you that ahead of time so that when you go to the prayer meeting, you're like, why does this guy love the word just? The other word that we love to say is, oh, Lord, we just, Lord, Lord, we just, Lord. Lord, you are such a just Lord with the lords of justs. <laughs> we use the word Lord, Lord Jesus, like it's his first name, right? Lord Jesus, Mr. Jesus, Lord Jesus. And then after the prayer, I have on occasion said to somebody, do you think he's the Lord? I mean, I've said that to some people who, whose, whose lifestyles in no way reflect that he's the Lord. Is he the Lord? This is the question, right? I, I know you meant it as a throwaway line. It's just something you say. I get it. Good teacher. But do you know what you're saying? I mean, why do you call me good? Because if you're calling me good, you do know that the only one who is good, who is morally pure, whose actions are always right, whose decisions and commands are always good and for our good, is God alone. So if you're calling me good, you're essentially saying that I'm good like God, and therefore, just like God's commandments are for your good, so are mine. 
even the commands about money. Look, my, my point here, just as we pause, is Jesus is not trying to ruin our fun when he teaches us about money and possessions. He's not trying to keep us from something good. He, he's trying to give us something good. Seriously, so many of us, when we think about the money and possession, I don't want to go to church. They're talking about money right now, and I don't like what they have to say. You know what I mean? It's going to ruin my life, I swear, if I listen to all this sort of stuff. But his commands are good, and they're, and they're for our good. I'll give you an example. Um, in Genesis chapter 4, right at the beginning of the, of the Bible, Genesis 3, excuse me, um, right at the beginning of the Bible, you've got Adam and Eve who, who are created, and, and they're having this wonderful time in the garden, right? God said to Adam, look, you can eat from any of the trees anywhere, just not that one, the knowledge of good and evil. Right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ugh, don't do it, okay? It's just the, I only have a little circle. It's coned off. Just leave it alone. Huge orchard. Just leave that one alone. All right. So they live happy and healthy, naked. It's great. Okay, no. Uh, <laughs> and then the servant comes to Eve. Just on one day and says to Eve, look, God told you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden, didn't he? And she's like, well, No. He said we can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but there is one that we're not supposed to eat from or touch it, which he never said, or we'll die. And the serpent then said to the woman, ah, come on, right? You're surely not going to die. Like, come on. Like, don't be so melodramatic. God's just blah, 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 blah. See, here's the thing. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. Don't you want open eyes? Like if given the choice between open eyes and closed eyes, open eyes are better. Your eyes are going to be open. And you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. Don't you want to be like God? See, here's the thing. God, he is... He is kind of selfish. He wants certain things for himself, and he doesn't actually want to share. I know it looks like he's good because he gave you the whole garden, but if he was really good, he would have given you the whole garden, and he would share with you this stuff. But by keeping it away from you, he's kind of a selfish jerk, don't you think? Don't you think? Of course, she's like, yeah. And she buys it, and here we are. But I want you to see at the very beginning, at the very beginning of all of this, was the questioning of goodness of God. The world is in the state that it's in because we question the goodness of God and the goodness of his commands. Rejection of God, it starts when we doubt that he's good and doubt that his commands are for our good. But they are, they are for our good. Uh, I was in Australia a number of years ago. One of the beauties of living down under in New Zealand is that you go on, on vacation, sorry, holidays on vacation to Australia. And so we went to Australia. I had a good friend who lived in the, just north of Brisbane. And uh, I remember getting out of the car and we were walking toward the front door. His name's Alan. And he said, there were these little frogs. They had 
bright things on the back. And they were hopping, like, all over his, his path to his door. And I was like, oh, tree frogs. And I reached down, and he goes, eh, don't touch the frogs. And honestly, in my mind, I was like, don't be an idiot. Like, I love frogs. I'm going to pick it up, and he's going to hop all over me. When I was a kid, we used to do that in the Northwest, right? Find a tree frog. Oh, you chase him, and you grab him, and he hop all over you. He said, don't touch the frogs. They'll kill you. That little frog's going to kill me? No way. Actually, yeah. Most things in Australia kill you. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that? Seriously, he told me also when I got inside, oh, also while you're here, don't reach into any of the bushes because that'll kill you too because they have these red-backed spiders and they'll come bite you and you're dead like within minutes. Oh, also in the morning, you might find across the street on the play structure, uh, there'll be these brown snakes, which are really aggressive and like the third most poisonous snake in the world, and they'll be wrapped around the, the, the jungle gym. But they'll go away soon. Now, here's the thing. Um, I'd never been to Australia before, really. I didn't know all that about Australia, and I have a choice to make. Either I'm going to listen to what my friend Alan is commanding me, or I'm going to not listen to what my friend Alan is commanding me. Because, you know, he could be telling this to ruin my fun, right? Because jungle gyms are fun, frogs are fun, Biden, not so much, but like in, playing in the bush, that's fun. So I have a choice to make. Either I'm going to listen to him or I'm not going to listen to him. You know why I listen to him? Because he's never done me wrong. He's never played some weird joke on me. The tone of his voice is pretty serious. And ultimately, deep in my heart, I know that my friend Alan is actually for my good. He does not want me to die by frog. His track record proves his character. The track record of God in your life, what does it prove? Christian, even when you did not know what was happening, even in the darkest valley, as you look back on it now, what did his actions prove to you? That he was trustworthy or not? He is good. Your life is an evidence of his goodness. What you have, you have because he's good. And his commands are for our good. God is not going to choose you. He's not going to save you. He's not going to give his son's blood for you to ruin your life. He's proven already that he's for you. So what he says, even about money, is ultimately for our good. So what does he say about money? Second thing then. Well... He says that our money can be more than money. It, our money, it, it can mean more than just money to us. Look at what happens in this story. Um, excuse me. Uh, where am I? I'm down there. I'm right there. Golly, I had it right the first time. Uh, you know the commandments. So the answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, you know the commandments, says Jesus. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. And, and honor your father and... Right, it's Mother's Day, right? So <laughs> Honor your father and your mother. 
this is not the kind of answer you thought he would give, did you? Seriously, can I hit pause really quickly on this sermon, and I'm going to stand over here now for a, a, um, for a theological aside. Don't we usually, when somebody asks the question, if, like if you're an evangelist or whatever, and they say to you, how do I get saved? Do you know the answer to that question is usually not ever coming out of anyone's mouth, oh, you need to just uh, do the law. Usually we say, oh, no, uh, it, salvation is by grace through faith. That you just need to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus. Don't you expect that here? Like Jesus is being asked this question. And what you should expect as good Christians is Jesus is going to say, just repent and believe in me. Does he say that? No, he says, do the law. In fact, do the five of the Ten Commandments on the back end of it. Oh my gosh, what is he talking about? This makes it sound like salvation is by works. You know why? Because salvation is by works. Seriously, seriously, here's, here's the problem. God has given his law, and he said to all of us, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So here's the law. You have to keep it perfectly. Ready? Set? Go. Like half of you just failed because you thought something bad about me right there. I know you did. I hate his pants. Look, there he goes. See, the problem that we have is actually that we don't keep the law. Oh, I keep it better than most. Doesn't matter. Perfect is your heavenly father. Is perfect. I mean, you might be a little better than other people, but you're not as good as God. See, the problem that you have now is that you're condemned because you fail to keep the law. And the law says condemnation, eternal condemnation for those who can't keep the law. Oh, wretched person that you are, who will deliver you from the body of this death? Well, what you need is you need somebody who's able, perhaps, to keep the law on your behalf and is willing to give you their righteousness so that you don't have to stand before God in your own, clothed in your own righteousness. You need to stand before God clothed in theirs. I wonder who that could be. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, so Jesus, listen, salvation is by grace... Through faith, that's how you access it, Jesus came in grace and he died on a cross in grace through faith. So you believe upon the Lord Jesus, but that faith is in the works of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by works. It just so happens that Jesus did the works and so you can access it by grace through faith now. Which is awesome. Listen, this is awesome because what it means is that when Satan comes along and he accuses you and says you're not good enough, your response should always be, I know. I absolutely know that. But Jesus is. Oh, you don't deserve heaven. I know. But, but Jesus does. You're not righteous. I am. Not on my own, but in Christ. And when God sees me, you're going to see him. So your, the, your ability to keep God's law is not the issue. I'm trying to be a good Christian. There is no try. There is only Jesus. See, Yoda should have said that right? There is no try. There's only Jesus. So you have to keep the law. <laughs> Jesus is kind of setting them up here, right? So I'm going to play this sermon now. Theological aside over. No more theology at all. So here we go. I'm kidding. There will be more. <laughs> Look, you know the commandments. Don't commit murder, adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness, honor your father and mother. 
the back end of the Ten Commandments that have to do with the relationships you'll have with each other. And he said, man, all of these I've kept, like, from my youth. Like, even when I was a little baby, I didn't murder anybody. Like, I, wasn't I didn't steal. I don't remember ever committing adultery in my entire life. I don't lie. My father and mother know how much I love them. I give them the, her the gifts every mother. Like, I, I've always done these things. What's he claiming? I'm righteous. I'm perfect. The Ten Commandments, if they were a checklist, I would check off on all of them. On all of them. Uh, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, Oh yeah, there is one thing that you lack. Uh, I, I need you to go and sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Lit literally, if you read the original language here, like the order of the words is... is uh, everything, all you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. His, em his emphasis is on all of it, man. Every last bit of it. Sell it. Give it to the poor. And then, come follow me. Uh, we should ask the question, of course, why does Jesus add this command? What, what, what exactly is he, is he after? Why is he saying this to this particular man on this particular occasion? You guys do know, uh, so if we go to the Ten Commandments, you do realize that um, in the ten, beginning of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, when you know, Moses comes down from the mountain, he comes and he's going to give the Ten Commandments on the stone to, to the people. Here's the, beginning of, here's the beginning of what God says when he's giving those. He says, and God spoke all these words saying, uh, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? So he's shown, I've shown you grace, I've saved you, and now I'm going to give you my law. Because that's the order, guys. He saves, he shows grace, and then he gives commands. So, um, I'm the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Command number one. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. So in your allegiances... In the list of who you follow and where you find your meaning and joy and purpose, when other things crowd in and you have to say yes or no to them, if they threaten my primary place in your heart, they have to go. You shall have no other gods before me. So here's this guy who shows up, and he's like, yeah, I've kept all the commandments, man. You know the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I've kept them all. I'm amazing at this. And Jesus is like, oh, really, all of them? Okay, let's just, let's just go to the first one. Just go sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. I mean, you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. See, because it's, it's either me, right? You said I was good, just like God is good. In fact, I am God, so like, e either me and everything else under it, or your money, and everything else under it. So choose. What are you going to do with the first commandment, man? You shall have no other God before me. What's going to be first place in, in, in your heart? 
The answer? <laughs> when he heard these things. Yeah, he, he became very sad because he was very rich. Um, the challenge with money is that it very easily becomes the source of our joy instead of God being the source of our joy. The thing about money is it promises to keep us secure, to make us feel warm and fuzzy and at peace when we have it. When we buy the new thing, we get a sense of a whoosh, a joy, a happiness. And that whoosh, joy, and happiness can dupe us into actually believing that it can answer all of our problems. That if you just have enough insurance, if you just have the right car, if you just have the right house, if you have the right phone, if you just have enough of it and big barns that you will be taken care of now and forever. And you won't need anything. You hear what you're saying. You won't need anything, even God. It wants to be the master in your life. It, it sells itself in the master in your life. Our whole society is believing that it's the master who can deliver. But can it? It's interesting uh, if you get to First um, Timothy chapter 6. So this is Paul kind of at the end of the book to Timothy, who's his protege and is a pastor of a church called Ephesus. And he... He says, look, pastor, here's what I need you to do. I gather all the rich people in your congregation, and here's what you're going to tell them. As for the rich in this present age, okay, I want you to charge them not to be haughty. Don't be stinky with your nose in the air. I'm better than all of you because I have more than you. Don't be haughty, nor, listen, to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Uh, but set your hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's so easy to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, to believe that it's going to help you and deliver you when you need it. Do you know what this looks like? Like, I just get really practical. You know what it looks like to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches? All right, so uh, let's just imagine that I'm scrolling through... I don't know, you pick Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, MySpace, I don't care what it is, right? Truth Social. So, okay, you're going you're gonna to scroll through that and there's going to be these ads that come up, right? And they're tailor-made to you because they're watching you. You know that, right? So they're, you're scrolling through and you see this ad. You know, and the ads for the iPhone, I don't even, what are we on now? 13, 13 see, you know. I, it's the iPhone 13. I'm not putting you down, I just don't. I'm not into those things, you know. So, so you're on the iPhone 13. And uh, it says, you need this iPhone 13, right? Because look what it can do. It can take pictures, and those pictures, they come to real. They come to real life. You take a picture, and the thing is actually there. It walks on its own, this iPhone. And I look at my iPhone, and I'm like, it's 11. Did you know that that's two less? And I need to have the full, the full 13. All right. So it gets in my head, and I see it again and again and again, and I start saying, oh, my wife, I need iPhone 13. I need iPhone 13. I need, do I need the iPhone 13? No, I don't, but that's advertising. It creates in you a need that you don't actually have. Okay, so 
I go and buy the iPhone 13, and guys, for, uh, for a, a brief moment, and by brief, I mean, I don't know, it might last a day, it might last a week, it might last three weeks or a month. I'm on heaven. I'm in heaven. Every time I pick it up, oh, feel it in my hand. It's so lovely and small and picture. Oh, you're real. I can do all the stuff with the iPhone 13. But then there's a point. Always there's a point. I don't know how long it's going to be that you're like, I don't know, I can't do everything. And then, listen, and then... The next fall, they always come out with an iPhone 14. And you're holding your 13 going, man, that's one more. That's one more. And now this one can actually destroy the world. It can launch nukes or whatever. And so you're like, ooh, that would be really cool to be able to launch nukes. And so then you're like, um, honey, I, I think I want the iPhone 14. And She's like, well, maybe, and stuff, but you think about it, think about it, and you go to the place, and then there's a brief moment that you have it, and that you think to yourself, this is, this is really great, I love it. And then in the next fall, they come along, and they give you the 15, which is one more. And so you think, this one can do, you know, everything. You can reach God directly with this phone. <laughs> and over and over and over again. And listen, we keep doing it, and the reason we keep doing it is because of that whoosh. Because of that moment, we think, yes, but if I keep doing it enough, I will finally get something. I will finally buy enough or find the right product that will, that will settle in my heart this tension. It will give me peace and contentment, and I will finally be able to have something where I say, I'm at rest. Walmart says, save money, live better. I want a better life. Walmart can give it to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> You've been to Walmart. <laughs> but this is the sales pitch. And so you understand when he says, when he says, when Paul says, it's uncertain, you hear what he's saying. It's uncertain. It never fulfills you. When we're looking for this contentment and we never actually get it in money, but we keep going back to the trough and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating, and now we're fat and we got every conceivable thing in our house and we're still horribly sad and empty. It's like, it's like someone sold us a bad bill of good. Jesus isn't like this. Here, I'll show you how Jesus isn't like this. The Apostle Paul, same guy who wrote these things. In, in the book of Philippians, he, he has received a financial gift from the church in Philippi through the hands of a messenger named Epaphroditus. They didn't have a chance to give it, but finally they show up. He's in prison. He doesn't have anything. In prison in those days, you didn't, they didn't like, provide you a, a, a blanket or food or anything. You needed people to pay for your food and all that stuff. And so finally they give him money so he can buy food. So he said, look, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Like you, gave me you gave me money. Oh, look, you were indeed, I'm not, I'm not being negative toward you, he says. You, you were in concern, but you just didn't have the opportunity. I understand. There's barriers in the way. But here, I need to be clear about something, he says. You've given me this gift, this financial gift that's going to help me. But I need you to know that I'm not speaking of being in need. I know I was in prison and didn't have any food, but I wasn't in need. For look, I, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wouldn't you like to know that? Would, like, seriously, would you like to know how to do that? 
when it's good or bad, when you're rich or poor, when you win, when you lose, you can be content. He says he learned how to do that. Like, I, look, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Do you want to know the secret? Buy my tapes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes though, right? Like, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the verse that you put on your shirts right before you go into the ring to punch people. Like, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What kind of all things? Well, to be rich or poor, to have much or little, to win or to lose. See, I, all of that doesn't ultimately matter. You know why? Because I've got Jesus, and he's enough. You want the secret of contentment? Turn away from the riches. Sink into Jesus. All of your expectations that you have in riches, turn to him and say, no matter what happens to me, no matter what you provide, I know I'm going to have treasure in heaven, which is you. I'm going to sell Everything I have, if necessary, to buy the field that has that treasure in it. So I can be content, finally. But you know, money can mean more than money. <laughs> Often does. Third, uh, it's really hard for a rich person to be a Christian. I have no other way to summarize the next verses in this passage. Verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, and he looks at the guy who's walking away and has chosen his money over Jesus. He's chosen to continue in this cycle instead of saying to Jesus, yeah, okay, if I have you, I've got enough. Um, sees that he becomes sad, and he says, man, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's an interesting picture, right? This eye of the camels and eyes of needles. So this sounds crazy, doesn't it? He basically makes it sound like uh, uh, camels are really big and eyes of needles are really small and so like that's not going to work. So people throughout the ages of the Christian church have tried to say, oh, okay, look, he's just being a little crazy here. It's not impossible for a rich person to be a Christian. Um, instead, what they have to do is kind of just kneel down a little bit and bow their head to Jesus. So uh, people have come up with an idea that, uh, that there is this gate, this small gate that goes into the city of Jerusalem and that when camels really big come to it, they have to kneel down to go through it and that's called the eye of the needle, okay? There is no archeological evidence anywhere for this. Some preacher made this up one day and everyone's run with it. It's not true, there's no such thing. The early church fathers were like, yeah, this is really hard. That word camel must be rope. Like some scribe just decided, I'm going to screw everything up and make it camel. Now, it can't be camel. It's got to be rope. Because we can put a rope. I mean, ropes are hard to get through eyes of needles. But, you know, you can twist it all up and you can shove it through and pull, pull, pull. See? It's just really hard. It's really hard. The problem is... Uh, the image, as crazy as it sounds, 
is meant to illustrate the impossibility of it. That's his point, as you'll see. It's impossible, he says. Look, camels are the biggest creatures of the, they're like moose, they're huge. And eyes of needles are the smallest holes that we have. Big things don't go through little things. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. It's impossible. See, those who heard it, they said, well, then who can be saved? See, you only ask this question if you think, dude, he just said that everybody who's rich can't, make, can't be a Christian. And don't you think that rich people who have the riches, isn't that a sign of God's blessing on them? Don't we have, we have signs, literally, we have signs that say blessed. And we put them up when we have money. These guys are like, yeah, see, that's a sign of God's kindness on you, right? Well, then who can be saved? If they can't be saved, then what hope do we have? If those who have a sign of God's favor on their lives can't be saved. What about us? And Jesus says, what is what? What is impossible with man? Yeah, rich people being saved is possible with God. In other words, it takes a miracle for a rich person to be, to be saved. Why? What is it about being rich that means, makes it so that you have to have a miracle in order to be saved? I want to tell you something really cool. All right, so if you go to the wider context of this passage, one of the things that's cool is here in Luke 18, it starts with a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. The tax collector is standing at a distance, and he's saying to God, standing at a distance from the temple, and he's beating his chest, and he's saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. With his head bowed and stuff. He knows, I don't deserve salvation, but the, but the Pharisee is walking up and saying, thank you, God, that I am keeping all the rules, and I'm amazing, and not like that dirtbag back there. And Jesus says, it's the tax collector who goes home justified. And then he, we have a story where, um, where we have a bunch of disciples who are barring little kids from coming to Jesus. Because little kids, get, just get out of here, right? You have little children who are trying to come to Jesus. And Jesus says to the disciples, stop it. Let them come to me. Look, the kingdom of God belongs to people like them. And then if you skip our passage, the next one is about a bunch of disciples who are telling this one guy who is screaming at the top of his lungs. He's a blind beggar. And someone tells him, hey, Jesus, you know the guy who's healing everybody? He's walking by. And this beggar says, son of David, have mercy on me. And the, and, and the disciples are like, what are you doing? Shut up. Right? Stop it. You're bugging him and everybody else. Son of David. He just gets louder. Right? What do you want? I want to be made well. Your faith has made you well. And then we have our, our passage where we have a rich ruler. And we have, you'll see in a second, the disciples who've given up everything to follow him. See, what, what is Luke trying to say? Look, who are the good guys in all these stories? The losers are. When I say losers, I mean the people who know that they have a need. The people who recognize that they don't have it all together. The people who come to God with open hands saying, if you don't help me, I'm not being helped. I'm doomed. But the people who come to God with their hands full, with everything sorted out, I'm glad I'm not like those people. 
All you bothersome others need to stay away. Those people who come with their hands full of all their stuff. When Jesus comes and says, would you like my kingdom? They're like, oh, I, I just don't have room. I just don't have room. And that's what wealth does to you. It makes it so that you don't have any room. It makes you proud. It makes you big. And it's only the humble and little ones who receive the kingdom. So seriously, which one are you here? Is your hands full? Sometimes preachers get uh, people in their congregation saying when they go into money series, they say stuff like, listen, I know you're doing this. You just want my money. You know what my response always is? You're right, I do. I absolutely want your money, but I don't want it for my sake or my church's sake. God can provide whatever the church needs, and it doesn't need you. I want it for your sake. I want it for your sake because I'm trying to save you from the frogs. Right? I'm trying to keep you away from the frogs. And they'll kill you, man. It's hard for a rich person to be saved. But Jesus can do it, right? All right, last one. You can't outgive God. All right, Peter said, so he sees this guy walk off, and Jesus says, man, it's, it's impossible for these, but God, I can save rich people. It's really hard. And then Peter speaks up. God bless Peter. Hey, Jesus, did you notice that we left our homes and we followed you? Like, we've done the exact opposite than that guy did. And what's going to happen with us? We've sacrificed a lot to come. When he says this, he's looking around it. Guys who left their tax collecting business, very lucrative business, to follow Jesus. He's looking at guys who left their nets, their jobs to follow Jesus. Guys that left their families who said, I don't want you to go follow Jesus. He, they chose Jesus over all of that. What about us? What about those who've given everything we have to follow you? And Jesus said to them, uh, truly I say to you, you need to, in other words, you need to listen very closely to me because what I'm about to tell you is legit. There is no one who has left house or wife, brothers, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive, listen now, many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You cannot outgive God. There is not a single sacrifice that you will ever make for the kingdom of God and to follow Jesus that Jesus not, will not repay you many times over in this time. Now, when I say that, the prosperity preachers are like, that's right. This is how you get rich. You give stuff, you don't sow a seed, and then God owes you, right? Isn't that what he's saying? Sow a seed, God owes you. Sow a seed, God owes you. That's how it's going to happen, right? God's going to bring money to you through the lottery or whatever it is. Actually, this passage says something very different. Where is this money? How is God going to provide for you many times over? Where's that going to come from? Guys, oh guys, um, there's no one who's left house or, listen to the language, wife, brothers, parents, children, family. Every time Luke talks about these words in his gospel, he's usually not referring to the biological family. He's talking about the church. <laughs> he 
talking about the church. He's basically saying, listen, when you, when you give up your mom and your dad and you give up your house and you give up all that stuff to come follow me, there is this group of people, this new family who is living not with their possessions like, you know, like, this, like the, the putrid pond where all of it comes in and they just get fat and stinky, but they're living, according to my rules, as rivers and they want to pass all of it along. And when you show up, you become the object of their care. So you left behind one, you've got 10 million now. Man, I gotta tell you, I, th this has been my life. I gotta testify. This has been my life. When my wife and I decided that we would leave and go to New Zealand, we had to sell everything we had. I had like one key on my keychain. I didn't even know what it was to. I didn't have anything. Go, show up in New Zealand, we didn't really know anybody, or we left our family completely behind, grandparents. I had my two-year-old son, Ethan, with me. So we show up, and we stay at, at Hudson and Colleen Malcolm's house. We stay in their upstairs of their house at this lovely home on a hill and oversees the airport. It's beautiful. And they said, listen, you can stay here as long as you need. I know you're going to be looking for a house and stuff. You stay here as long as, long as you need. And over the next month or two months that we were there, my son had surrogate grandparents. They would carry him out to the koi pond and he'd look at the fish. He loved diggers, uh, excavators. Every time he saw an excavator, ooh, digger! Hudson would walk him down the street and look at every digger everywhere. Colleen would have him on his knee every, every day. We, we'd never had that kind of care before. And it wasn't just them. We had Donald and May who came along and they became more grandparents. Malcolm and Donna, they come along and be grandparents. They provide house. I have brothers and sisters there that I never knew about. And then after five years, we ended up leaving there, going to Canada where I knew nobody. But it wasn't very long before I had brothers and sisters and aunties and uncles for my kids and grandmas and grandpas in spades. And then 15 years later, the Lord calls me to Chicago. I don't know anybody in Chicago. But you know what the Lord's doing in my life? He's providing me with grandmas and grandpas and aunties and uncles and brothers and sisters. Don't you see? Don't you see? You cannot outgive. You cannot outgive God. You cannot do it. Try it. Seriously, try it. Look, there's a guy named George Muller. I'll let him have the last word here. George Muller was a man who was. Uh, he, he, was, he owned a bunch of orphanages, he started a bunch of orphanages, he's a Christian man, and he had this approach toward money. He needed a bunch of money, but he said, I'm not going to go and ask anybody for money, I'm just going to share my ministry with them, I'm just going to go say, hey, I've got an orphanage, here's our need, walk away. Over the years, the Lord provided him tens of millions of pounds in order for his orphanages to keep running. And there are some crazy stories, last-minute provisions, crazy things like, the, you know, the milk cart breaking down outside right when the children needed milk. All of that kind of crazy stuff. And people said, you're amazing. You have the gift of faith. And he said, oh, I don't have the gift of faith. The way that I live can be the way you live. And so he gives this plea. He gives this plea at the end of his autobiography. And he says, my dear Christian friend, will you not try this way?
Will you not know for yourself the happiness of this way of casting all your cares and burdens and necessities upon God? This is as open to you as it is to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord with all his heart and to cast his burden upon him and to call upon him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this? My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace, content. Because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you. So are you going to empty your hands or not? See if, see if God will fill them. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for your goodness. I'm thankful for this passage with such a rich warmth to my heart. A reminder, Lord, that there is nobody on the earth who can sacrifice more than what you can give. And so I pray, Lord, that that would be the case. Would you convince us of your goodness and your interest in all of those things, Lord? Fill, us with our, fill our minds with your goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I pray, Father, that we would see in 5, 10, 15, 20 years that we would look back and each one of us would give testimony to the times in our lives where we have emptied our hands and we have seen you fill them in miraculous, amazing ways. And we will give praise and honor to our good, gracious, heavenly Father who cares for us. So we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.